Bonnie and Clyde and Queen and Slim and Noah and Meg and Eliza and Anthony. We're all each other's ride or die bitches at work for the dark I'm No Jansen. I'm Meg Jansen. And this is Twin Picks. Yahoo! Yay. Gosh, I love movies. to Twin Picks, the show where a pair of actual real-life human twins and also me, their other sister, make a double feature out of two movies that share some kind of similarity and we decide which one does its job better. Before we launch into this special episode, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land I'm recording on, the Gabrielenio people. And we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which myself, Anthony and Meg are now recording, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, and pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Guys, we're back. We're back. <sighs> this I is miss thrilling. You so much. Sweet relief. I miss the podcast. I miss my family. Aww. Aww. That actually is quite a sweet thing that maybe new listeners wouldn't know is whenever we do this little podcast. We're talking to Eliza for like the first time in weeks as well. Yeah, from she's, afar, in LA. she's in LA. How you doing, Liz? How's COVID oh. been treating you? Uh, <laughs> yeah, not good. I mean, I'm doing better than other people. Many people get COVID and they actually die. How so do you know you I don't have COVID and I'm alive. It's true. Well, I've she's been making juice. Imagine oh. if they traced all COVID in LA to a Eliza. little juice shop and it's the juice wow. you've been making. <laughs> Sally. <laughs> wow. How this is, thrilling. feels like a, such a weird, like, welcome back. Like, it's such it a, feels, it feels like a big deal. It does. It yeah. does feel like the first time, doesn't it? And it's also very exciting because this is our first episode with That's Not Canon, the podcast network. So we are, it's a bit of new territory for us, kind of a little step up. We're moving up the ladder, which is really exciting. I know. Legit. We're yeah, under we're a legit. banner. That's we're like it. professional. That's now. it. I know. Yeah, we've got a cool little like family, I guess, of podcast friends. I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty cool. So um, hopefully we have some new listeners today, yeah. which is really exciting. If so, welcome, welcome, welcome. Yeah. We are and just, if you're um, a returning listener, like just welcome. And I'm not going to say sorry we haven't been here because... You know, yeah. yeah. How long is it actually? So other than Eliza and I did like a little like special app thing just to honestly just to tide us over because I was sick of talking to the wall. Um, but <laughs> how long has it been since we've done? All right. So the last proper episode that wasn't one of those bonus ones came out on the 2nd of August, which means we would have recorded it at least a week before that. So Jeez. it's been wow. since, out on your since July. Yeah, it was on our twin birthday. The day of the twin birthday. There you yeah, go. the last great day. Actually, the last, <laughs> truly. <laughs> Probably, wow. actually. They were great. We oh, had oysters. Which wow. means we've actually had a very, like, sad milestone in the sense yeah. that um, we have, like, oh, missed yeah. our one-year anniversary. Yeah. We were trying yeah. to do something to celebrate. It, but it it's been a we're interesting... also law-abiding citizens. It's not worth Unlike celebrating. The uh, characters we're speaking about today, we're all law-abiding. Oh, so that was a great transition. Actually. I know, I know. That was sweet as hell. So yes, this is the touch. episode that we promised you almost how many months ago? Four months ago. Four months ago, we were like, next week we'll have Bonnie and Clyde and Queen and Slim for you. It's been a long week, and it's been it's been a long week exactly. So here yeah, we are let's now. Just we do it straight up yeah. Indeed. What's the connection? Should we tell people the connection, Lizzie? Yeah, I mean, in title, you can see the title is Name and Name because both films are about a pair of young lovers who end up, like, either through choice or because of racism, end up caught in a conspiracy. <laughs> you know, they're road tripping around the country, avoiding the fuzz. And from the start of both movies, I think you get the sense that things will not end well. And yeah. I think Queen and Slim is pretty directly, like, in the film, 
Um, other characters I didn't tell realize. Queen and Sleeping yeah. Katniss. Yeah, you guys yeah, like, like Fred, Bonnie, and Clyde. Yeah. 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 Sometimes our Twin Picks are pretty, like the connection is pretty pretty thin, but this that is, is not the case this week. One. This is a big old connection and I think it's going to be a really interesting one. I I'm actually excited. don't know what your picks are going to be as well, which mm. I always like in an episode, you know, because sometimes it's like, well, we know who's going to win this one, but <laughs> who knows? I'm excited. Me too. Yeah. Let's jump right in. Do you guys want to start chronologically and just do the yeah. 1967 Bonnie and Clyde first? Let's, Let's do, it. do it. Yay. Let's do it. Let's die We're together, back. guys. You Ride or die. Let's do wow. it. <laughs> remember Skate or Die? Do you remember that? Oh, yes. my God. When Can we, we tell people about Skate or Die <laughs> wait, quickly? Wait, sidetrack. Yeah, it's great. So when we were in France <laughs> in Paris on, like, a family trip when we would have been, like, in year five, Nora and I would have been, yeah. and Eliza would have been, like, in year seven. Is this right? This story is embarrassing. This is our most privileged right. This is story. so embarrassing. It's so yeah, this is the most boring story to be like, we went overseas and watched a movie called Skate or Die. <laughs> but we also <laughs> insisted on watching it, like, three times, and we left the Louvre to go back to the hotel room. We were more and more we were faced with a second die. day spent at the beautiful Louvre, paid for by our incredibly supportive parents, and we're we were like, like, "We, would we don't want die. to. Can we go back to the hotel?" And it was French language, and we, we had watched no idea what was French going language. On. Skate or die. So maybe one time we should do skate or die. <laughs> there yeah. you go. I saw um, skate or die and Lords of Dogtown. I saw yeah. <laughs> literally Spectre. Or it's the James Bond. I saw Spectre in Paris. For like some at the cinema? Yeah. Was it in French? Yeah. Oh, that's different in the cinema. Uh, no, it was in English with French subtitles. Oh. Didn't one of... Nice. You, who, no, Eliza, Eliza, you saw Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 2 in German, not with English yes. subtitles, just in German, right? Did, but Eliza said yeah. in German, she would have understood it. I yeah, true. Like. It's on the No. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, I really Bella watched screaming it in, in German. English. <laughs> Which one translated better? And, um, I mean, it's better in English, controversially. <laughs> but <laughs> saying there's something. a bit in the movie that is so much better in German where um, Bella and Edward's daughter, Renesmee, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know what? I have a feeling I'm going to talk about Twilight in greater depth. Yeah, you know what? Dates, I think Twilight, let's just move forward. Twilight might be in our podcast future. Let's, let's focus on two love-torn criminals. You got really sidetracked. You can tell we're like a bit green we're today. I'm so, yeah, yeah, so true. Oh, well. I just wanted to say the one bit in Twilight yeah. Breaking Dawn Part 2 that's better in German is Renesmee. There's a part where she's screaming Jacob's name and running through a forest. <laughs> and the German voice actress did an amazing job. She's like, Jacob, Jacob. <laughs> it was really good. <laughs> anyway. Body of Body Let's do it. <laughs> Okay, Bonnie and Clyde is a 1967 historical crime movie. It's kind of a biopic, I guess, mm-hmm. directed by Arthur Penn, and it's starring Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway. Uh, this movie is is pretty routinely criticised for, like, really glamorising real events, like turning them into a movie, um, like leaving some of the historical accuracies out. But no one really cares because for the most oh. part this movie is kind of recognised as, like, a big 60s Wild West of filmmaking style icon, this kind of omen for what was to come of, like, filmmaking of the 70s. Mm. So, like, do you all care that it's inaccurate at all? No, I don't care at all. It's mm. such a marker of the period. It almost appropriates the story for the style. Like, it's borrowing so much or trying to borrow from the new wave borrowing (laughs) borrowing um trying to borrow from the new wave that was happening overseas and bring it to like american audiences Mm. and to like a lot of resistance by jack warner i think but like even in terms of just Mm. where it sits it's it's at the start of this new chapter for hollywood and so i'm kind of like even though yeah it does you know in slapstick ways convey violence and is gratuitous in its excesses like I sort of like, does it matter? Like Bonnie and yeah. Clyde, the story, it's it's attached to the mythos more than it is the actual um Yeah, crime. absolutely. It's like a mythological anyway. thing, aren't yeah. Bonnie and Clyde? I I like one of the first things I had to write down on on this second watch is like this we we've spoken before on the podcast about how the biopic has quite like an inherent thing attached to it of like because you're telling a realistic story you are restrained by the realities of life to some degree. Yeah. And all the things that make this 
not just like an important turning point industry-wise for, as Meg said, like the direction that this took cinema, but also just the things that make this at like story-wise, writing-wise, really iconic are where it goes, what makes this story better? And it takes liberties. Mm. For example, my favourite part of this fucking movie is Warren Beatty really pushing, like, I think we should add the subplot that Clyde is impotent. Like, yeah. that he has this weird connotation to, well, not weird connotation, that he is, like, really insecure about his about sexuality ability to have sex. sex. And yeah. it just adds such... Because otherwise, if you're just, Exactly. If you're just telling a movie about violence, if you're just telling yeah. a movie about, here's this thing that happened between Bonnie and Clyde, that's one thing. But instead you get this incredible story of, like, a man trying to prove himself, trying to, like, prove his masculinity and yeah. his validity as, like, a man because he can't have sex. And yeah. a woman that's yeah. desperate And it's, like, where he man. can't do that through sex, he has to do it through violence. Like, he Literally. accounts for his impotence through the violent acts. Wow. And that 100%. in itself, like, when they commit these crimes, that in itself is, like, a sexual act. And that's, yeah. like, you know, this it sort of excites like Bonnie in this weird Literally, and it's all way. the best acting yeah. beats too. I wrote down all these gorgeous shots where like one I love is whenever they're like having fun or doing something like, for example, like the bit with Gene Wilder where they like find these two, like they steal these people's car and then they actually go back to get the people whose car they stole and like put them in the car. And whenever they're kind of playing around, acting like children essentially, and Clyde hugs Bonnie you can see Faye Dunaway's eyes like light up. Like whenever he they, hugs like, roll her back into or her touches head. her, yeah. she literally is like overcome with this wave. And you just understand how this cycle of what's actually like, why would these people do this? Why yeah. would they do it? You get it. It's because he's trying to like prove himself and she is desperate for touch. She's desperate for, as you said, Meg, this weird connection that's made between violence and sex. Yeah. Did you guys check out the wiki page for this yes. and what it has to say about Clyde Barrow's like impotence or whatever? That apparently originally he was going to be like an outright bisexual character, with, um, and the couple the, were going to have a threesome character. with their little getaway yeah. driver. Yeah. yeah, wow, which is a vibe you feel in the movie a little bit. Like when they pick him up, they're kind of like, "Hey, want to cuck me?" <laughs> like it's very. <laughs> there's something very modern about it. Yeah, yeah, it is modern, and I think also it comes across in that like European way, like where overseas they weren't experiencing the restrictions of the code that they did in Hollywood. You can understand how it does have it, have its roots in like Truffaut, you know, giving a bit of script guidance and Goddard being offered to like direct it and then rejecting it. And like. Drop those names, Queen. I know, look at me go. Yes, yes, I did a film at them. Um, But like, I don't know, it seems sort of, it has something to say about like sex and gender and this interplay between Bonnie and Clyde, but it also does it in a casual way as to not detract from the actual action. Like it's a part of it, but it's a part of it's it true, yeah. in the same sense that the violence is a part of it. You know, like it's it's not it's not casual, yeah. but it's not um, it's not like a sex movie. It's yeah. not trying to like interpret no, itself yeah. as that for the cinema. Like as as you said, like the violence is so well integrated into the film. I've I've had a big year of watching lots of um westerns and particularly Peck and Par. Like I love Sam Peck and Paw this year. And this film is the biggest indicator for like signposting in the industry of when violence comes more into films. And the most interesting one that this movie and The Wild Bunch have a huge relationship with is the audience critical perception was these films have this like glorified violence and what are you teaching our kids? Mm. And the filmmakers both say, were you watching the same movie? Mm. The point was yeah. I was saying. It doesn't look fun, dude. This isn't like, fun. It's yeah. disgusting. Like this movie is the first use of blood squibs to this degree. There's particularly one where they're really like they're um, fully ambushed yeah. and Clyde gets a shotgun in the arm and you see chunks of his flesh rip away. Yeah. And I'm just like, in what world is this glorifying violence? This is America being like, almost to some degree, we have a fucking gun problem. Like yeah. we love violence in this fucking country. Yeah. Here's a story about people trying to get like almost weaponizing an American culture around violence to be like, let's be famous. Yeah. Yeah. And also to some degree, like, like the 
the principles of Western film, like the Western yeah. film, Ooh. guided the Hollywood cinema, like the idea that yeah. there's these shootouts and the person who like wields the gun, you know, with the most technique and mm. as excellently as possible or whatever, they're the hero and they're the kid, like they're the person that the kids, you know, want to look yeah. up to. It's kind of showing them like, no, no, they're criminals. Like these people yeah. with the guns, they're criminals. They're like committing crimes. It doesn't, it doesn't glorify them in any sense. And in I that way it does such a good game of like uh, not glorify, like it makes them human people that you understand why they're doing what they're doing whilst not saying it's good that they're doing it. Like if anything, I'm like this paints Bonnie and Clyde as humans doing horrible things, yeah. which is I think like Actually, a really hard Actually, I do task. sort of disagree with you a little bit on that point because I don't think I really ever understood or well, understand, like I don't think the film gives us an opportunity to understand why they do it except to say that, you know, they've had a criminal beginning, like except to be like yeah, Clyde has been in prison so this is what he does and Bonnie comes along for the like, ride. Would you have liked it spelled out more? Because honestly one of my big comparison things between this and Queen and Slim is like there's just a bit more of a like late 60s quality of like not everything's as spelled out for you with this one. Like yeah. I just liked that there was a lot more thinking for me to do on my end in that way. Yeah, and it's not as heavy-handed in yeah. probably a good way. It makes it much more like interpretable and like it also means that you can sort of see Bonnie and Clyde the characters mm. within the discourse of like the Bonnie and Clyde mythos like so more true. so than yeah a period film mm. um I think you kind of safely assume their motivation based on just like both the time period that the movie's set in and where filmmaking was at the time like living in the great depression where it's like, you know, you already don't own much and then the bank takes it and yeah. then, like, you have nothing to do and all the yeah. other characters in the movie are really old and they're these sexy young people with, like, they're literally all dressed up with nowhere to go. Like, the yeah. start of the movie is, like, Faye Dunaway just, like, posing yeah, mm. and, like, waiting for something to happen and it happens and she's like, oh, shit, well, like, you know, this probably won't end well, but what else do I have to do? I <laughs> like, guess that's a good point. that nihilistic attitude. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like movies were at this point in the 60s and 70s as well where it's like well let's just try something yeah and um anyone who had like a camera and a bit of money like people like this people like jack nicholson whatever like the next stars of mm. the next decade like their movies do feel really nihilistic when you watch them but yeah. you're like oh they were kind of doing whatever the hell they wanted and i kind of hope that happens again now like that would be cool if that's where movies are yeah. eliza you should yeah. tell the listeners that really interesting thing you told me about like obviously being like a struggling screenwriter in LA, you said the interesting Wee. thing about like this film being kind of a part of the counterculture thing of, as you said, like an era of Hollywood people kind of doing quite like grim, like nihilistic perspectives on things that you were saying you could see like our industry heading that way possibly with COVID and with yeah, you know, the industry changing. Definitely. I mean, we have like this freaky new version of, a vertical integration now where it's like everything is like pretty much Disney, but a few other companies as well. Mm. And it's like, I wonder what it would take to like shake us out of that and like start making movies that are like made for adults, original stories, quite like racy or contentious or whatever, like, you know, trying to get people's attention and are like interesting and marginal and stuff. Mm. And it's like, I don't know. I don't know how soon it will happen or if it will happen, but you know, it might, like we're sort of in that position again that we were in in the late 60s and 70s where yeah. anti-authority movies like this and like Easy Rider, even The Graduate, like people actually really connect with movies like that. Yeah. I don't know. That'd be sick. That's 100%. a cool, that's a cool I'm like very idea. hopeful for that, really. I wanted to know, how do you guys feel about the character of Blanche Barrow? So this is a character played by Estelle Parsons who won the Best Supporting Actress for this role and it's um, Clyde's, like, sister-in-law. So his brother, Gene Hackman, his wife, Blanche. I have feelings about his character but I want to hear what you guys have mm. to say first. I did not realise that she got Best Supporting Actress for this, which is wild. Yes. Um, I, so what Meg was saying before about being, like, with Bonnie and Clyde that you didn't feel it justified why they were doing this or we didn't know enough... For those two characters, I actually think it being left up to the audience interpretation, there's enough development of their characters 
like that's going on subtextually that justifies it in the sense that, you know, the like, as we talked about the sexual repression thing, the fame thing, the being poor, like lower class Americans in a country that doesn't really care about them. Those things justify it for them, for me. Why the hell does Blanche Barrow do like, cause they like, why does she do this? Like they just, they, they make her such a like pompous, stuck up, mm. whiny person, mm. you know, the preacher's daughter mm. to such an extent that you're just like, there's no world where at the very first sign of any of this happening, you wouldn't be like, I'm going to the cops. Mm. Like it just does not make sense to mm. me. Mm. Do you agree, mate? Yeah. It's almost <laughs> like she's just something to contend with. Like, just want, it's just like a silly, dumb comic character. And, and it is a bit over the top, I would say, and it surprises me. Oh, not even over the top. It's like, yeah, it's, it seems like she's just put there to be like an antagonist. She's irredeemable. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't know. Eliza, do you feel well, the same way? Well, you know way? who else didn't love that character? Who? Blanche Barrow herself, who yeah. said, that film made me look like a screaming horse's ass <laughs> when the movie came out. <laughs> she was one ass. of the only... <laughs> She's one of the only survivors of like the Barrow gang um, who lived to see the movie come out and she freaking hated it. And I remember imagine if if one day they made a Twin Peaks movie and I was played by like (laughs) some frumpy idiot and he was like, I like James Bond. I'd be like, oh my god. Wow. How dare you? Yeah. Um we've been talking. I remember like watching the movie after you listen. When I was little. It's okay. I remember watching it when I was little and hating this character and being like, oh my God, she's so freaking annoying. Shut up. And this time I loved her. I found her really relatable. <laughs> Just the idea that like you visit your partner's family and get drawn into like this criminal, like run across the country murdering people. And she's just like, oh, guys, can you drop me off somewhere? Can you let me out at like a Denny's or something? Like just going along with it. I find it so funny. I feel like that should be another movie. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I know that it's light, the but I still story. am like, I just, every time she was on screen, I was like, why would you not have left yet? My bigger MVP that I wanted to, we've been talking about this one a lot, so we'll, we can, you know, touch on it more again with Compare the Picks later on. But I think I've been watching a lot of his films this year as well, but Gene Hackman is so great as an actor. I think yeah. I always... Underrated. Yeah, I think so. Well, I think, maybe not underrated. He is I think really to some famous, degree, but... though, because I think... With a lot of actors, you know, like obviously I think all actors could be character actors if they were given the opportunity. But I guess in that, like, especially in like the 60s, 70s movies, all the big actors, you have this image of like, you know, stone cold, like cool kind of people, kind of like Warren Beatty, Steve McQueen, that kind of vibe. Mm. Gene Hackman in all his stuff makes like, I just think he makes such big, bold choices that feel so fully realized that I was trying to compare him to someone today. And I was like, you actually kind of give me Adam Driver vibes. Like you're kind of weird and you make. Yeah. Idiosyncratic choices. Yeah. I think he does. Mm. Like I actually, like I watched the conversation recently and I've seen the French connection a few times. And even those movies where someone like a Steve McQueen would be like, I'm cool detective. He is always like, quite a brute or quite arrogant Mm. and that probably is maybe a little bit who he was but I don't know I just think he gives more texture to some of these roles than some of the actors of that era might have done yeah Yeah. so he's an MVP for me in this movie do you reckon there could be someone like Gene Hackman today because I feel like I mean it's mean to be like could there be an actor that's not hot (laughs) (laughs) but I feel like when you look at the best actor noms every year, like they're increasingly young and sexy and like GQ yeah. cover boy kind of thing. I'm like, where are the like kind of grisly, like just every man dudes, you know? I guess I think of like maybe a Philip Seymour Hoffman or uh, what's the gu- what's the guy that's essentially just taken his career? Um, uh, that's <laughs> Jesse Plemons. Jesse, yeah, Plemons, Jesse yeah, Plemons, yeah. But even the like non-traditional looking actors... I find kind of attractive. Again, like well, that's Adam, all Adam Driver, Driver is thing. the person I would think of, and I'm like, exactly. He's like no, Adam Driver me. is like a young cute boy. Yeah, no, no, no. But, but I don't oh. think anyone would cast him. Be like, he's a hunk of spunk. Like he's exactly. like the traditional Hollywood actor. Like but it's that like whole that. thing where it's like originally he wouldn't get into casting yeah. calls because casting directors thought he was the ugly BFG, and yeah. stuff. Yeah, but I think yeah, like more and more you have actors who are very traditionally the BFG, attractive. Holy shit, that's amazing. <laughs> that's what he is. You have like um traditionally attractive actors 
playing ugly roles and then getting really, really um, applauded for it, like Joaquin Phoenix being the uh, Joker. And it's like he's attractive and then he played someone who's kind of ugly like and you cgi yeah. so he was a little bit smaller and now you're like, wow. <laughs> it's like, okay. That it. That it. Anyway. I agree. Sad. No, it's true. I think it's Good a kind though. of acting style and look that we don't encourage as much anymore that we absolutely no, we should. should. Or you, yeah. Or like no one, I feel like in the 70s, no one would have commented on it with Gene Hackman. They wouldn't have been like, you know, he's like, He's a, he's a, not just an actor. He's a character. Yeah. Kind yeah. Of but again, actor. I they think just be like he's the lead actor. I think to yeah. some degree, men have always been able to be like that, whereas women never could, yeah. especially past the age <laughs> of like you know forty. You know that whole joke of like, yeah. are you a sex object or are you a mother? Because yeah. otherwise, you're not in the movie. <laughs> yeah. 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 Before we um, shift over to Queen and Slim, mm-hmm. Meg, you already briefly mentioned that Jean Luc Godard was meant to be involved in Bonnie and Clyde, and you still see the new wavy influence particularly like editing and stuff but mm. his um his reason as to why he left the production is very cute i he liked says, it did you see that quote yeah, it's so cute oh no I, I think i might have oh tell me tell the, the reason the reason that he backed away was because the film's producers kept bickering over whether the movie should be filmed in texas which it actually was and which made the movie a bit more expensive to film or whether they should just like bite the bullet and film it somewhere else and try and make it look Texas-y. And it all hinged on when they're going to shoot the movie, what the weather's going to be like, what season it is. And that pissed off Goddard enough that he just said, Je vous parle de cinema, vous me parle de météo, au revoir. Which is, I'm talking cinema and you're talking weather. Goodbye. Oh, <laughs> oh Goddard, you beautiful bastard. We you love cheeky him. Prick. <laughs> God. That's what we love him for. Wow. I'd love to be quoted on Wikipedia one day. I just say the worst, dumbest shit. Yeah. I'd never get there. What Wikipedia page would you want to be quoted on? Um, <laughs> dumbest quotes ever. He's going to say Halloween. is incomplete. No, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, probably. I was going to say something stupid, but then I'd be The largest John Carpenter fan or something. Yeah. yeah. And I'd be like, this boy, he makes he movies. He likes him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Guys, let's talk about Queen wow. and Slim. I'm let's dying to Queen talk about Literally. it. Come on. Let's do it. Queen and Slim is a 2019 romantic thriller drama and whatever directed by Melina Matsukis and it's starring a beautiful Daniel Kaluuya, Daniel Kaluuya who does the most unclockable American accent ever I reckon. Yeah what the hell so true. And I actually don't remember this actress's name I have not seen her in other stuff I gotta look this up quickly. Yeah I haven't seen her either. I uh, Jodie Turner-Smith I believe. Yes. Yeah. I think I want to double check. Maybe this is like her first role or among. Let's see. First role. She's in the last ship. No, sorry. She's in a bunch of stuff. Night flyers, and she's a model. She's, I think, maybe well, she has model, a model looks. She's like, gorgeous. She's gorgeous. Yeah. This is the most like attractive pairing. Oh, good god! Yeah, Especially seriously. from halfway through. Yeah. Um, Liz, you should uh, maybe just mention the plot as well. Yeah, of course. So in a way, Queen and Slim almost feels like Bonnie and Clyde in reverse, where Mm. in Bonnie and Clyde, these couple fall in love and because they're kind of like so caught up in each other, they egg each other on to do crimes and have fun doing it. Whereas in this film, because our unnamed characters who are just known as Queen and Slim throughout the movie, because they are black, they, after a kind of awkward, not very promising first date, get pulled over by a cop, the situation escalates, Slim shoots the cop basically in self-defense after Queen gets shot in the leg. And now, even though they don't really love each other or seemingly even like each other that much, they're sort of stuck on the road um, without a plan. Like they have some friends along the way. They stop in on like Bikini Woodbine, um, Chloe Sevigny, some kind of cool actors or whatever. But the whole time they're pretty much just like, uh, yeah, let's keep running. <laughs> like there, there's not really any romantic um, you know, plan to get off to anywhere. They they aspire to go to Cuba at one point. It looks like they have an out, but the whole time you're kind of like, uh-oh, I have seen Bonnie and Clyde, the, the couple right? that yeah. these people keep getting compared to, so I know how things might end for these characters. Yeah. I heard all <laughs> these things of people saying it's almost perfect but then fucks its ending. But I think 
the whole movie is a testament to the idea of being like, just in the way that Get Out was great for with its ending going, because you, when you see the cop lights, the whole audience knows what that is signaling for this black man. We actually don't need to make that the ending of this movie. This movie does the opposite thing in being like, there's only one way this can end. So I think the ending was really powerful. I would say that mm. Queen and Slim is probably, aside from the romantic component, which is much more Bonnie and Clyde, it's almost more Thelma and Louise. Like they fall into yeah. all of these circumstances and patterns by no fault of their own or mainly no fault of their own. No, by no fault mm. of their own. They're victims of circumstance and it points quite heavy-handedly but it points to or gestures to mm. Um, you know, like the socio-political pulse mm. of all their, like, you know, them shooting the cop in self-defense and then everyone they come across who could, you know, um, mm. dob them in doesn't because they know about it because of the notoriety of, you know, the body cam footage or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And But it is more Thelma and Louise in the sense that it's just like not a comedy of errors, a tragedy of errors and everything goes wrong and you know it will all go, go wrong Mm. by the end of it but it isn't this meticulous plan it isn't a strategy it's not like something that they're getting a kick out of like they are in Bonnie and Clyde until Mm. they sort of have to own it and just are like okay Mm. we'll just do this together and that's where the romance is very cultivated um I actually think Mm. it comes back interestingly to the thing we talked about with Bonnie and Clyde about you know, like, why are they doing this? I think the thing that works the best about this movie that you can imagine when they thought of the the idea for this, of essentially like Bonnie and Clyde, but with the template of ACAB, Black Lives Matter, police brutality, those themes, this moment in time really, Mm -hmm. would be like, oh, it's a perfect fit. Because the thing that works best about this for me is like, as you said, Eliza, they have this pretty messy, bat like first date, not messy, but just there's a sense that Queen isn't super interested in dating or something. She mentions she just kind of wanted a night out um, and that they're a bit different. And instantly when they go through this trauma together, they know what that means. Like there isn't this sense of like we shouldn't, like even though obviously they're saying like, no, I don't want to run, I don't want to run, there's this understanding that they're like, I know what it is when a black person kills a cop, our life we have if we don't run yeah. our lives are over and you just believe it from the very top and that's what makes every single encounter with all the people that they meet along the way make so much sense because everyone collectively understands what they're doing is yeah it was in self-defense but every single time we get that like a quick glance at the news we see us being painted as violent black people and you know that also talks back into the interesting thing of they meet some people on the road who are like you just like uh, like other black people being like you've given them a license to every time we kill them you give them a license for them to kill us and those kind of difficult conversations so yeah i think it really touches on everything i just wanted to say i i think it really justifies why they're being fugitives why they're on the run because hmm. they know they know what this is they know what's going to happen i think some of their like behavior later though i didn't buy like when they're on the road like they adjust really and quickly they, they stop at a bar <laughs> And he's like, come on, I'm tired of playing it safe. Let's go into the bar. I was like, you're tired of playing it safe? You're tired of, like, being, being alive? On the run. Like, what's yeah. this, what are you talking about? Yeah. I found, like, um, I found, like, in Bonnie and Clyde, because the characters, like, crime is part of their romance, whereas in this, they're mostly, like, just normal people trying to avoid, like, the freaking death penalty or whatever. Mm. I found it, like, as the film wore on, I believed they're like actions less where I was like no you would just like hide dude you wouldn't go out and about and like have this like flirtatious experience yeah I also think the film got a little bit caught up in a lot of the um a lot of its like imagery or I don't know what it was something about you know um putting um Slim's character on a horse at the end and doing it to be like, oh, he's, you know, he might never get to be on a horse or like when he rises up out of the car and they're driving along and it seemed like they wanted to do all these like 
you know, a significant Moment, rather than like iconographical rather than a thing. Story, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, this isn't, it's not substantive enough to add anything for me. Like it doesn't contribute enough yeah. for me to feel like, because it is, the film is like Bonnie and, oh no, less so than Bonnie and Clyde probably, but it's a road movie. Like we need to be moving. You're right, but Thelma and Louise is maybe a closer comparison. It's, I just felt like we need to be moving. Like we're on the run here and there were points where I felt like it got bogged down because it wanted to do some cool things almost in this you know it wanted to go to New Orleans and have the New Orleans like uh, yeah, vibe so they wanted to go and dance at this club and they Even wanted like the big idea that they get the, this big makeover thing yeah with the like, makeover and now they're cool they have it's these like cool this... costumes and cars that I'm like I understand what this is about it's about like the iconography of this but yeah, yeah. and I get mm-hmm. it and even like I can see in some moments it was done in an interesting and cool way and probably it's a bit um, lost on me because I am white and I can't appreciate like um, for example when Queen's character at the start she has her hair in long um, like braids and then because they have to disguise their identity she gets them taken out and she has her natural hair and I could very I could see how someone watching that could be like yes that's her like owning and becoming going back to like her natural hair being like her natural self fully empowered on the run blah 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 like, that's cool but I'm kind of like yeah, but at all times I want to keep moving. I, like I want them to be on the run. I want them to get to mm. Cuba and mm. it's and it slows them down. Again, the reason I'm so excited that we've picked these two movies is like I see so many personal taste things for mm. us with these two movies because I've had a big year of feeling like I'm becoming an old man with my movie watching. Like I am so... Like, I just am the opposite of that thing of, like, movies should be 90 minutes. Like, I've really become more, yeah, like... Yeah, this felt I, long I don't me. mind sitting in a world... This felt a bit too long, yeah. though. You've got to say. And yeah. again, like, I've watched lots of, like... I, like, one of the first things I wrote down was, like, I like a plot structure that kind of feels like it's going to be, you know, like an old torn paperback that you find at a at a bookshop, at, like, a, um, a Savers, you know, where, like, the the binding of the books all kind what of What the worn. hell are you talking about? I just think this movie, like the structure of like a road trip thing where it's like, you know, we go and then we meet it these people and then we have yeah, kind of oh, pulpy, pulpy, like right. we have this interaction and then. I was like, why are we at Savers? Why are we why at are we Savers? At Savers? Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. No, I just mean like. We're I, poor men, okay? <laughs> we are poor. I just, I, this is where I shop. <laughs> we um, want to shop. We want to shop. <laughs> God, the second we finish recording, I'm watching that video. Um, I like, I feel like I'm actually really prepared for that kind of plot structure but even with this movie I do agree that like I loved it but I do just think it's gonna be a matter with compare the picks and us picking out one of like one mm. of these movies I think leaves a lot up to interpretation mm. but actually that isn't like indirectly like I think downfall. it leaves the tools there for you to be like yeah. take from this what you will whereas this movie has the structure of that yet at every moment it's telling you what to this, think. here's what this means here's yeah. what this means here's yeah. what that means and that yeah. isn't as satisfying for that kind of structure like yeah, for exactly. me if you're doing that kind of long like we meet these people then we meet these people you can't tell me what I'm supposed to think of every yeah. encounter as much as this movie does and I also mm-hmm. think like everyone's a has a political like sentence sexy like thing to be like here's what I think about what you did and it's yeah. a bit obvious you I know? think just before we compare the quick uh, compare the pigs quickly I wanted to say yeah I agree with you on that and I think it is done in a way that feels a little bit um a little bit yeah junior or or like obvious and heavy-handed the fact that at all these moments these like moments of intersection where something significant happens it's always like it's not just saying something it's yelling something like the fact that the young boy who's a protester, shoots the black cop. Yeah. Or the fact that the um, queen at the end in the final confrontation with the police is shot by a woman. Like I know that you're trying to tell me like it's not just white cops doing this against black mm. people. It's like, you know, the police is an institution. And, like and I know that you're saying that, but stuff. the way that you're saying that is so heavy-handed that you're yeah. yelling it at me. I do get it. And I, I didn't agree. need it. Like I, I was like, you could have just left it. It could have been done once or... It could be done more subtly. And you know whose mm. performance I think um, lost out the most from that was Chloe Savigny's. I did not like her role. It was very small in this, but I just thought this is such a, like, lecturing moment. It's a Karen. And she They're could like, do Let's write a Karen. nothing with this. Yeah. Like, she had very <laughs> few lines and she came. This is Chloe Savigny, like, the cool girl of that era. Like, she 
why is she the Karen in this moment? Why is she the one being all preachy? I was like, I don't like this for her and I don't like it in the context of the movie. And I think, yeah. Chloe, it's like I don't even Chloe, recognize Chloe, what are you doing right the now? Karen white trader character. What are you doing? <laughs> Liz, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm interested about how you feel about it. It's like a thing we're coming back to is like, like I, I feel like I'm speaking down to this movie a lot. I loved it. I really did. But uh, the writing uh-huh. maybe being a bit blunt. Do you mm. agree with that? Yeah. I think so. Like, um, Meg, what you were saying about the writing being heavy-handed, this script was written by Lena Waithe, who, like, she's in Master of None. She created the show The Chai. Mm. The Chicago. That's cool. Yeah, but she's been criticised for being, like, a bit heavy-handed or a bit of, like, an after-school special sensibility in the past. And, like, Mm. I would say, um, I would say, like, the first half of this movie, it was setting up an interesting idea to me where it was, like, almost talking about how crime is romanticized and it's like why do we do that yeah and then when we should be just focusing on like oh shit these people have been killed yeah like and um Daniel Kaluuya has a line where he says like someone's like yeah it's black girl excellence and he's like why do black people always have to be excellent why can't we just be ourselves yeah and I think the movie sort of betrayed that a little bit or like yeah. fell into its own hype or something by being like the final scene is going to be slow-mo and they're holding He's hands. going to be holding her and body and carrying it towards yeah. the Yeah, they I become agree this, with like, you this entirely. Legacy like, you thing. do lose yeah. sight of the fact yeah. that, oh, yeah, these people had lives and, like, names, which is a point made in the final scene being like, oh, my God, do you hear their actual full name? Yeah. But it's like that's, like, in this year of, like, seeing those kind of protests, like, that happens constantly, seeing people make someone like Breonna Taylor, like, you know, mm. making them into a symbol which can be powerful but it can be limiting as and well reductive, it's like yeah yeah I, I think agree. by the end I, I, can really, I found it hard to tell where this movie landed kind of yeah I can really imagine this movie as like a script that's been written by someone who's like I just have to like hit those notes like I have to you know speak to the buzzwords and be a little bit on the nose and you know on a page I can imagine someone reading that and be like oh that's so interesting and then when it was put in front of me on screen it was just a little bit over powering I think interesting I definitely mm. agree that they should have leaned off so much of that like iconography idea of them being these like as you said like Breonna Taylor almost mm. images like literally like they're, they're on t-shirts by the end of the movie um uh, yeah I, uh, I think I also it just felt do like the movie sort of took that view as well and was like yeah, yeah. Like I, I do also beautiful just wanna... tragic characters and I was like oh but yeah Yes, I, I do also else. just want to <laughs> point out that, like, I think it does really effectively, personally, I think it does sell the idea, though, of, like, the communal collective trauma of black people, the idea of, like, a black cop letting them go and, like, people, every single person almost understanding what that is without even having to speak to them and even just, like, again, the beautiful idea. I think it's, it's such an incredible idea that, like, they go on this Tinder date that doesn't go well. And the second this happens, they bond because they know what this is. Like, obviously it's a completely different movie, but if this was true, like white people, them being on the run would be a completely different thing. Well, it is Bonnie Clyde. Yeah, literally, of course. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I think that it does sell the, the idea of like every single like African-American that is in the movie speaks, like has such, you know, a profound experience of like, understanding of what their you know thought on this situation is and that Mm. is like a delicate thing that I think it does quite well but also yes it's just too blunt I don't know we can compare it a bit more when we compare the pigs yeah exactly I think I'm ready to compare let's compare the pigs yeah let's just do it already movies in some part hinge on the idea that crime is like cool and romantic and kind of heroic and in the in Bonnie and Clyde the 1967 film it's the idea that robbing banks is kind of punk because you're only screwing the bank man you're like a little Robin Hood Mm. and in Queen and Slim it's killing cops because they're a sign of authority and if you're a cop killer 
that definitely puts a target on your back, but it also is like a little status symbol in some ways. I, in that's so interesting. The year of our Lord 2020. I don't see the thing as much of like the idea being that it's like good that they've killed this cop. Well, other people see it as that in the movie. I, I understand. Though. Yeah, exactly. So I know that that element is is present there. But you there. don't think the movie's trying to say that. I don't think that. the movie's trying to say that. I mean, the movie's trying to say that there's this understanding of what this, what that country does to its marginalised people. Yeah. And the many ways of, like, that the cycle of violence, like, so they've done this horrible act. No, no, that they've done this protective thing and they're trying to save themselves. And then the way that that action influences people in different ways shocks even them. Like the way that they react to the young man who like his fury at being like, why are we oppressed? Why does this happen to us? Translates to him perpetuating the cycle of violence, just like was said at the start of the movie with, I don't know who it was that said like, you give them a license to kill us. That's literally what happens with like, and you can imagine how Fox news would be putting that on TV tonight, you know, being like, a black boy shot a black police officer today and then what that would give those, you know, that side of that debate, like how it just continues to fuel itself and fuel itself and fuel itself and the way that in doing that it gets away from the central idea of being like, yes, but that cycle of violence exists because, like, oppressed people are scared and trying to defend themselves and sometimes that creates circumstances where people do horrible, stupid mistakes but it's a messy problem. And at the end of the day, there's the oppressor and the oppressed. And I think it does sell that well. There have been a pretty enormous number of white people killing other white people, but it's never painted. It's never painted like a, in that way. Exactly. It's, it's like, oh, this must be like genetic, right? Like it's, it must be because absolutely. like this is what yeah. white people do. It's like, it's absolutely never framed that way. And it's always about like individual circumstance or like their experience or something. It's like the way that the world has been has shaped them into doing the thing that they did, whether it was like, whether there's like fault ascribable to it or not. Mm. Um, whereas it's always like the inverse with anyone who's like been marginalized. It's like, it's not about your experience. It's not about, it's like mm -hmm. a, it's like a, I feel like we may have even talked about this on the podcast previously, but it's like a, um, it's, it's like a psychological term, which I think is called ultimate attribution error or something like that, which is basically where it's that. like when it happens to you, it's like, oh, wow, this is crazy. Like, what a weird situation. But yeah. when it happens to someone else, it's like, oh, because they're that kind of person. Yeah, mm. yeah. Oh, yeah, no, mm. that's what it is. Yeah, with when it's when it's talking about it on those terms, as far as it being like individual or someone else, it's called yeah. fundamental attribution error. And then when it becomes about like race and prejudice, it's called ultimate attribution oh, error, which right. is about like mm. it being literally that like this person is X category and therefore yeah, and they will be like this innately, yeah. Yeah. whereas yeah. I am Y category. And so like I'm like this That's only really if I'm forced, mm. forced to in like exactly. enormous air quotes. Yeah. So again, I... I think to some degree Queen and Slim is going to be a more heavy-handed movie than Bonnie and Clyde, but... Um, well, I think, yeah. I think Bonnie and Clyde just doesn't seek out to do any of that. Bonnie and Clyde, like, seeks out to lean into the... I've said it so much, but the mythos of Bonnie and Clyde, like, they set up the sort of, like, parable that Queen and Slim then borrows from to... Like it yeah. recontextualizes it for today to discuss matters of race yeah. and class and intersectionality. So like I think it's just different things. Obviously we can applaud Queen and Slim for doing it because it does it in a really interesting and evocative and um, heartfelt way and it treats it with seriousness and notes of um, like tenderness but also yeah. like firmness. It's not, it, it doesn't... Um, skirt Ooh, tender and firm. Tender and firm. It doesn't like Damn. skirt around the issue like the confrontation mm. with the police that causes them to be on the run is very abrupt and violent and shocking and like abrasive but yeah I guess I don't think Queen and Sin could have done it if it didn't have that um framework set up for them by the parable of Bonnie and Clyde mm. which the 1967 film does so well you speaking to that actually made me realize that also like Bonnie and Clyde all the things it's kind of subtly discussing come about through the way that the characters of Bonnie and Clyde are written. Yeah. Whereas in Queen and Slim, the things that the movie is about happens outside of them. They're like accessories to Queen so and So it feels Slim's like experience. you kind of get like, 
a romance story with Queen and Slim, and then outside of that you get the themes of Black Lives Matter, police yeah. brutality, whereas Bonnie and Clyde kind of it's built into how well-written this dynamic is of between like them. the weird push and pull between Bonnie and Clyde, how desperately she wants mm-hmm. him and how much she wants him to want her, yeah. how much he is almost like, I, again, I think Warren Beatty gives an incredibly like subtle performance. For example, there's a bit where they're driving away from, I think he might've just killed a cop and everyone in the car is being like, oh no, no, no. It's they're talking about in the newspaper that they're attributing robberies that they didn't do to Bonnie and Clyde and everyone in the car, especially Bonnie is like, oh my God, they think we did this one. And he's driving the car and in his eyes, he looks terrified. And I think it says that like, he puts on this macho image of being like, oh yeah, I love doing this. This is great. This is what I want to do. But he is, he doesn't want, he would rather be safe. He's literally like, I don't know. I think again, like it's there for you to interpret. You guys might not have seen that, but I think there's an element of like a man overcompensating a man putting on a performance as this big, brave, macho guy Mm. who doesn't give a shit, but he does. Mm. I think he's kind of terrified and he's trying, especially because Bonnie views him in such high regard. She views him as this, you know, a nonstop machine that he has, you know, a big image to live up to. I think I want to hear, Eliza, what do you think? Like I'm, uh, your opinion, Uh, I probably am the least sure of. I agree. (laughs) I was just going to say as well, I think there is like a little moment in Queen of Slim where they have, like they always parody that character that's like, you know, the sexy criminal who's like, oh, yeah, like I have my gun. Like it's, it's some creepy convenience store character. Yeah. He's just like this oh, white yeah. dork that kind of harasses Slim and is like, I love my gun. It makes me feel so alive or whatever. Mm. And that always felt like it was in this conversation with Bonnie and Clyde being like, who would be like this? Who would want to do crimes? Like, mm. Because yeah. it's fun. What a weird loser. And just yeah. like what they, um, what guns are for Americans. Like how it's like this sense of like power and status, yeah. especially for poorer people who don't usually have that. Yeah. Mm. I just wanted to yeah, quickly like ask. like the scene in Bonnie and Clyde where they like let this um, family that's being displaced from their house by a bank, they're like, hey, guys, mm. get out of the car and shoot at the bank sign. Yeah. It's this little empowering communal moment. Totally. Um, I just wanted to ask before we pick, what do you guys think about the romance element of both of these films? I don't honestly have much of an opinion. I want to hear yours. I don't really know. I found Queen and Slim like pretty romantic in parts. Like even just how much they talk about like ordering food and stuff where it's like those Mm. little banal intimate things you do with someone who's like your partner or whatever. It's like, oh, you're kind of stuck Mm. together. The little mundane things you talk about. I thought the scripturally nailed that. Yeah, I think... Yeah, I think I would agree with that, Eliza. I think the intimacy um, was captured more in the details in things like when they, like, first sleep together in the bed at her uncle's house and she just, like, puts her hand on his head, his newly shaved head, and jokes and says, like, oh, I'm rubbing your head for good luck. And it's it's not like an especially sexual moment. Like, there is a sex scene in the film, but it's not like that. It's just intimate more in a friendship and a kinship and like a um, companionship than anything else mm. or like an alliance mm-hmm. even, I don't know. I, um, Bonnie yeah. and Clyde, um, the romance seems more like frantic and sexually charged on the part of Bonnie, not Clyde, and um, also like it doesn't feel as equal between them to me. Um, like I think mm-hmm. in Queen and Slim they both come to the same conclusion quite in sync with each other and I don't think that happens in Bonnie and Clyde except for in violent moments but I don't know that that's a bad thing just before they die where she like they have like a moment of eye contact and acknowledgement where they're just like like they both are just saying like I love you or something yeah they know that's it it's like very intense close-up before like the you know infamous insanely well edited just as iconic as everyone says it is like it hasn't aged a day yeah, um, yeah it's freaky like watching this beautiful actress like the two they're huge celebrities and they're like stupid good looking watching them like spasm riddled with like yeah. Yeah. very upsetting it is yeah. upsetting i also wanted to say writing wise in the romance thing for queen and slim i think a really clever thing they do is queen starts the movie way more um, what's the word for like, you know, what, what am I thinking? Like logical, like, what are we doing? Here's the plan. Stop messing around. And Slim is more emotional, more like chill. Yeah. Kind and then of. they switch. And then 
as they grow closer, they kind of fill each other out in that way. Mm. He fills, I fill her out. He fills me out. And we, oh we my go, God, for we just go for it. I think they do. I think that Queen, <laughs> Queen kind of opens herself up and becomes more emotional and Slim is falling more in love. So he's more protective of her and he's yeah, like stepping up logical. to the role. That's, uh, that's a really good point. I think, yeah, it's nice. Anyway, I don't know. I think my, I'm ready. My pick is Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> Oh, no, I'm surprised. Damn. Yeah, it's Bonnie and Clyde. I loved Queen and Slim. I feel like we talked a lot of smack about Queen and Slim just because I think the writing really is quite blunt, but I loved it. But Bonnie and Clyde, I think, leaves so much up to interpret. I think it leaves so many incredible tools out on the floor. And I think that's really fun, especially on a rewatch this time. I was like, damn, these characters are well written. Yeah. Yeah. How is leaving tools out on the floor good? That's just making the best. You're going to trip. I think I'm going to go with, well, I know I'm going to go with Bonnie and Clyde as well. Um, It's a bit unfair of me just, you know, because this is obviously retrospective and Queensland came out last year. Yeah, this movie has had like, Bonnie and Clyde has had like half a decade worth of Yeah, it has the benefit of time on its side. Exactly. And also just like the actors in it being canonised and all that stuff. So, um, but I am going to pick Bonnie and Clyde because you just, it's, it's a titan of like this era and 100%. that character and myth-making as well and meaning-making in on screen by Hollywood in the new wave especially. So, yeah, I'm Bonnie and Clyde too. We love. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, I feel bad for Queen and Slim because I, I did, did enjoy it. I thought it was cool. Movie, but I loved it. Yeah. yeah. I would recommend it to anyone as well. Like I think even if you dislike it and find it heavy-handed, like I think – I'm excited for heaps more movies to come out about this particular like subject matter and stuff. Yeah, me and too. This is like a very good <laughs> and but I'm still gonna pick Bonnie and Clyde. Yay! Um, well done, Bonnie and Clyde. Yay. I, it actually, was like I actually think I could recommend Bonnie Queen and Clyde. Slim to more people than Bonnie than I would recommend yeah, Bonnie and Clyde. I think Clyde it too. gave me a lot more to think about than Bonnie and Clyde did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yay, yay, Bonnie and Clyde. Yahoo! Do you guys this is so oh my god, this is the most absolute brainworms thing ever. But is there a song that exists that goes, Bonnie and Clyde, Bonnie and Clyde, what you gonna do about Bonnie and Clyde? Sounds like something out of The Simpsons. Are you talking about that song that goes, Bonnie and Clyde? That's a song. No. What's that? I don't know that song. That's a song from like the 80s or something. Yeah, is that in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind or something? Maybe. I feel like it is. That or it's in that type of movie. What about my song? No one likes your song, sorry. Oh, wow. It was oh cute, though. God. Good for you. There's a really, no, there's not, it's not that. The music of it is good. There's a Bonnie and Clyde musical, and it shows yeah, me how. Yeah, with your boy, oh. Jeremy, yeah, with Jeremy Jordan. Jordan. And it shows me how badly. I mean, how well-written the characters in the movie are because in that musical, it is just the thing of like, we're in love and we do crimes together and it's so much more basic. I'm like, no, show (laughs) me him not being able to have sex. Make that you're not recommending that for your triplet in the attic. No, that's not my triplet in the attic, no. Well, should we get to our triplet in the attic? I can't believe I just sang a song and no one cares and no one's going to help me attribute this song (laughs) to We don't know what it's from and we also don't care. We just couldn't care. (laughs) Oh, my God. For me, it's mainly the annoying thing. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's the not oh, liking you part. So you care. Thank you. That's really cool. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm so sorry. Let's move on to our lovely little triplet in the attic. Time. This is time. <laughs> this is time. And this but is space. You bring in Father Time. He's like, hello. <laughs> oh my God. It, it's it's triplet in the attic time. We each have to pick a third piece of media that would make a really good triple feature with the two movies we watched this week. Um, Noah, since we were just talking about what your one's going to be, would you like to kick things off? Yeah, sure. So it's not Bonnie and Clyde the musical. Um, I thought about saying... Like there are a lot of Bonnie and Clyde type movies. If you look up like a list, I yeah. think it's like a Wikipedia list, like a great one being um, True Romance, which I thought about recommending. 
But I actually Natural Born Killers. Going your Natural Born Killers. <gasps> Eliza, you're a stupid mole. You are so <laughs> annoying. That is why I tripled in the attic. <laughs> oh damn. You can always you can always tell when Megan's oh, well. watching Puberty Blues because she starts using mole again a lot. Yeah, okay. It was you're fitting. Mole. We'll come back to me. Yeah. Sorry, no. Okay. All good, I'll get it done quick, don't worry. Um mine is a great film I watched recently called The Getaway, which is the 1972 yes. fugitive film. Um Oh yeah, God. exactly. That's what I mean. So, mm. like, it's so it's, you set it up, you foreshadowed. Exactly, exactly. It was all part of my grand plan. So, it's a real like boys kind of movie. It's written by Walter Hill and directed by Sam Peckinpah, two dudes who make things about like men doing men things, but in complicated ways, which I like. Like, this movie does have some complicated um, domestic violence kind of stuff that I think is like justified in the writing of the characters. But you know, it's quite a like. It's a, a heist movie, kind of like a, two fugitives on the run. They are Steve McQueen and Ali McGraw, as in love means never having to say you're sorry, Ali McGraw. Um, and Who were a yeah. real couple at the time, right? Yes, exactly. I and I, I, yeah, I just think that's a really solid on the run story full of double crosses, cool action scenes. Um, great and I fashion. love, yeah, great action. I love Sam Peckinpah and Walter Hill. They're like my, my boys this year. So I would highly recommend it. Get a Meg. Natural oh, born killers wow. them. Eliza took the wind out of my sails. It's natural born killers. The jig is up. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is one of three Tarantino movies that doesn't offend me, I think. I think so. Really? <laughs> like, he distances himself from this film. Well, I like it. So keep doing this, Tarantino, please. Yeah. Stop doing what's for time in Hollywood. Him writing but not directing is fascinating, huh? Yeah. I think it kind of suits sometimes. Is Juliette Lewis a Scientologist? Uh, if she is, that's like one of my number one sad Yeah, because I was going to say, oh. with, um, She's so cool. my little plan was to be like, this is one of three Tarantino movies that doesn't offend me and it's like one actress who is in, like it saddens me the most that she's a Scientologist. Maybe she just has like kooky beliefs. What are, but, what are the other Tarantino <laughs> movies that don't offend you? I'm just curious. Reservoir Dogs doesn't offend me. and yeah. um, Jackie Brown. Oh, actually, yeah, Jackie Brown I like. and Jackie Brown has a lot of N-words in it. Jackie Brown has a lot of N words in it. Yeah, it, but it but feels that was less the, exploitative. Yeah, like it's yes, a bit that's more true. Of like a, that's yeah. very true. Um, and there was another yeah. one, but I lost it when Eliza just really so defeated just my took plan. The wind out of your little <laughs> Reservoir Dogs, Natural Born Killers, and oh, Dust Till Dawn from Dust Till Dawn. I think mm. she's that less Scientology. When he's no, she is a Scientologist. So yeah, I told you she's a Scientologist. She's yeah. Eliza. Oh, I'm so sad. I know, me too. But I love um, Woody Harrelson too. Yeah. And there's a great like little dynamic between them. I and Robert Downey Jr. has a pretty good Doing go at an Australian accent. accent. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's how I feel, guys. That's how I feel. <laughs> you look so deflated. I am deflated. I Eliza, like, you've why? actually destroyed I her. I'm a performer by, by trade. The this is my like craft this. and you stripped it of me. The anyway. cat is being so cute. Sorry. Okay, my go other for triplet this. in the attic is... Go back to this episode, the start of this episode, and listen to how many times Noah says, oh, no. "I've been having a really big year of." I've been oh. having a really big year for. He says, it "I've all been the time watching now. lots of movies." This I'm like, year. just say, "Oh, I watched this movie." <laughs> he says it a lot. I'm sorry. Anyway, that's my trash man. That's my quadruplet. Anyway, this cat is going off. That was a good triplet. Thanks. Even though I, if I stole it from you, so you don't think it's good because you thought it was a yeah. It's just like I would have done it. Anyway, (laughs) my triplet in the attic is the movie Gun Crazy, one of my fave noir movies, I guess. One of my favorite Bonnie and Clyde esque kind of movies, I guess. Um, And recently, for I don't know if it's been published yet. By the time this thing will come out. But for roughcutfilm.com, the movie website I help run, we had a prompt of people asking for asking our staff their favorite noir movies for Noir Vember. Mm-hmm. And three of the team said Gun Crazy was their fave noir. So yeah. if that is Ooh. not a qualified recommendation, I don't know what is. It's such a like horny, great, weirdly simple and like brutal movie. What does that say and about it, the writers of Rough Cut? Horny, they're all brutish, horny, and simple. They're <laughs> my simple <laughs> little brutish man. horny friends. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's what it means. Oh well, amazing. We'll have to watch. I'll have to watch it. I haven't seen it. Yeah, I think. 
Yes. That's actually a good brand of Triple Indiatics because both of those films, I'm like, I have to rewatch Natural Born Killers and Gun Crazy has been on my list for ages. So I might actually get back to you with with my thoughts. I love. And Gun Crazy... It's kind of weird. Gun Crazy, like, sort of inspired new wave people like Jean-Luc Godard and then that bounced back into inspiring Bonnie and Clyde. So, hmm. yeah, there's a lot of back and forth across the ocean. I don't know about you guys, yeah. but I reckon movies, they're pretty kooky. Oh, kind of crazy, they're crazy. Huh? They're pretty good. Movies are In this good. unprecedented time, <laughs> in this strange time, in this, in this crazy year. In these strange times, movies are sure kooky. They as are that lucky old as. saying goes. <laughs> Thank yeah. you for so much for thank thanks for listening to this episode of Twin Picks. If you guys enjoyed listening, anyone who's been driven here from that's not canon, welcome, um, welcome. We love you and thank you and come back next time, please, <laughs> and leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening from, like Apple Podcasts. And if you have anything to say to us, um, shoot us an email at twinpickspodcast at gmail and also you can follow us on our cool little socials as well, where we have a few fun things. Like we let you know what the episode of the next week is going to be. We let you vote mm-hmm. on which of the films you liked. So if you want to check out Bonnie and Clyde or Queen and Slim this week, you can do that as well. So we're on Facebook and we're on Instagram. Yes. And this is pretty crazy. Did you guys realize this? What? This week we watched Bonnie and Clyde starring Faye Dunaway and Warren Baby. And then next week, we're watching Twilight and Moonlight. And Moonlight, when it got its yes, bo- I know. botched uh, yeah. announcement at the Oscars, was that that failed presentation <gasps> was of Faye the Dunaway Best Picture and Warren Award Beatty. was oh. presented by Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway. I did think that yesterday that as I was watching it. in magical ways, doesn't Wacky. it? Wacky. I thought Eliza yeah. might have planned that and had been ahead of us in doing that. But who thought? Now. She's so that's, smart. Yeah. Wow, Eliza, good for and you, man. Oh, my God, thank you. So, yeah, so that's next week's is Twilight and Moonlight. So if you want to rewatch Twilight for the 400th time, like I know you do, people listening. Like if Karis yeah. is listening, I know you want to rewatch Twilight. Just do it. Just okay? do it and then tune in next week. That's the one. We'll see you then. Yes. Yay. Bye. Speak to you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.